So if it is dear sir or madam, then he is just faithful. And if it is dear Mr. or Mrs. XX, then he is just faithful or just true. Welcome to the Fit and Proper Podcast by DG Law. Your host, Kei Kemi Ubi, and co-host, Veronica Aino. Hello, you're welcome to today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast. My name is Kei Kemi Ubi, and with me today is Veronica Aino. Veronica is going to be one of our regular co-hosts, and so she'll be, you'll be hearing her voice from time to time. Hey, Veronica, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. And you? I'm, I'm doing good too. Can you just like introduce yourself to our audience so they'll know, they'll know you a little bit? Thanks for having me. And it's a pleasure to be here speaking with you. My name is Veronica, I know, and I'm a student at Nigerian Law School. All right, that is great. Okay. So today we'll be talking about, um, we'll be talking about a topic in professional ethics and skills. We're talking about um, other forms of legal writing, which includes letter writing, drafting of minutes, office memorandum, and CV or resume. So, but, um, let's just, can you just like, um, give a brief overview about this, um, the structures of drafting these different types of legal instruments? Okay. So in law, general drafting skills are essential for a lawyer as he would need letters and other documents to communicate with clients, the court, opposing counsel, and so on. So I would go into the details of the structure as we proceed in the course of the discussion, but it's worthy of note at this point that in legal drafting generally, in some cases, you need to go a step further with the structure. It's not your typical formal letter. So we have different types of documents for which a lawyer needs drafting skills like pleading, deeds, and other agreements, written reports, letters, legal opinion, memorandum. But for today, we'll be talking about drafting letters, minutes, CVs, and office memorandum. Okay. Okay. So let's start with um, letter writing. Okay. So like I said before, um, a, le- a lawyer needs letters to do or you need the drafting skills to do a lot of things. But there are many reasons why a lawyer needs good letter writing skills. For example, he needs it to be able to give or receive or clarify instruction, to give opinion or legal advice on issues, as a pre-action requirement to seek out um, of court settlement, and even sometimes as a pre-action requirement set by the rules of court, and then to give an update or report in in, res, in respect to such reports or legal action undertaken, then it can also be a preferable means of communication where there is an overwhelming need for record keeping, and also it can be used to communicate or correspond with lawyers of the opposite party. These are just a few of the many reasons why a lawyer needs good drafting skills for letters. And we have two basic types of letters. We have the informal or social letter, which you write to your friends or parents. And then we have the formal or official or business letter, such as application letters, letter of offer and acceptance, demand letters. But for the purpose of today's discussion, we'll be talking about formal letters or official letters to lawyers. So what are the types of formal documents? Since we're just talking about formal documents now. Okay, so we have status letters. And this refers to letters which lawyers are requested to write in order to give an overview of the current situation of a transaction or a court case or any matter. And a good example would be when 
your client, for example, you are representing a client in court, and you need to update the client on something, on the status of the case, or the current position of the matter in court. So a status letter is used for that purpose. And then another type of letter or formal document is the confer confirming or instruction instruction letter. And this type of letter is written to reaffirm an oral discussion which took place previously between the lawyer and client. So a confirming letter is written to a client to confirm a previous discussion had with the lawyer. And the purpose is to help in clearing or clarifying any uncertainty as to what is demanded from the lawyer by the client and what the client is expected to do. And then we have opinion letters also, which um, basically offers legal advice or opinion. We have demand letters which requests recipients to perform an obligation exposed to the writer. We also have letter of adjournment, which requests the courts to adjourn a matter. Of course, you state the reasons for the requirement of adjourn adjournment, and you also state the reason why you will be unable to attend court. And then we also have letter of complaint, for example, a petition, a letter complaining for um, complaining about nuisance. And then we have letter of offer and acceptance, which many of us, I'm sure, are familiar with. Your normal contract letter of offer, conveying clients' offer to third party, or acceptance of third parties' offer for clients. And we also have letter closing a client's case file, conveying to a client that his or her matter has been concluded and the case file closed. So these are the types of formal documents we have. All right. So... I know that you know when we were in secondary school, it talks about formal letter and it talks about like the parts of informal letter and then you have the date, the introduction and everything and who you're addressing it to. But what you're talking about like for lawyers now, does it follow the same structures or do lawyers have a particular way or different parts of the letter and how the letter is structured? Yes. Like I said before, the structure we're going to be discussing on that letter is a bit different from what we typically know. For example, when we were taught letter writing in secondary school, they didn't tell us it had to be on the letterhead. But for letter writing for the purpose of law or as a lawyer, you should write it on the letterhead. And this brings me to the different parts of letters. The first part of letter is the letterhead. And it contains, number one, name of the law firm, two, the address of the office, telephone number, fax number if they still use that and then other information that the legal practitioner deems necessary for example he could put his email on the letterhead so these are the parts now after the letterhead we have the date and the date is basically the date on which the letter is written it's very important for us to note at this point that an undated document is not worth the paper upon which it is written and so you insert um the date in this format you put the date the day the month in words and then the year. So, for example, we have 29th September 2020. After that, we have reference, which is re usually written as our ref, your ref. So, we have two references there and it's useful for filing and cross-referencing. After this, we have the writer's address and this is, if, it, if it's printed on letter-headed paper, then there's no need for you to write it because the writer's address is already on the letter-headed that we that as described before but if it's not going to be written on a letter-headed paper then you need to put the writer's address the next thing is the addressee's name and address and it's usually written on the left hand side of the letter just as we know about it from secondary school and then 
attention. Now, this is something that we're not, many of us are not used to because ordinarily we do not put this, but attention is needed where it is intended that a particular person should handle the letter. And then the next part is confidential. And this is used where the letter is only for the eyes of the person to whom it is addressed. So take note of that. Now the next is personal. This is used where the letter is sent to the person not in its official capacity so as no other person should read it. For example, if it is sent to the, a partner in a law firm and another partner sees it, he might feel, oh, this is an official letter, he can open it. But when it gets, it is tagged personal, you know that this letter is meant for this person in his personal capacity and not his official capacity. Now, the next one is the salutation, and it's usually written in two ways. We have the general form, and of course, this is dear sir or dear ma or dear madam, as we all, all know. And then, if there is a sort of familiarity, then you can put the person's name and say, Dear Mr. X, dear Mrs. XX. Now, the subject matter is the next thing. The subject matter captures the subject of the letter and is usually written in sentence. Just basically the body of the letter and it should be highlighted and it should, it should capture the subject which the body of the letter is going to take, rather. And then it should be concise and, you know, adequately capture it. The next thing is the body of the letter and the body of the letter basically talks about the content of the letter. So we have your opening, introduction, or acknowledgement. The next thing is the main brief or facts of the matter necessitating the letter and action expected from the recipient. The next thing is the closing part. That's the closing paragraph. Then after that, we have complementary closures, which depends on the salutation. So if it is dear sir or madam you use, then you use yours faithfully. And if it is dear Mr. or Mrs. XX, then you use yours sincerely or yours truly. Now, signature and name of the writer, this is also important because an unsigned document is not admissible in court. And so the writer is to sign on the top of his name, take note on the top of his name. And take note at this point that it's wrong. It is wrong to sign the name of the law firm without the person's name. And this was decided in the case of FCC Nigeria Limited. And a camera. Now, when signing on behalf of someone, you need to indicate for then you put the person's name or you put PP before the signature. It's very important when you're signing on behalf of someone that you do that. And we have the enclosure, which is written as ENCL. And this basically lists the documents attached to the letter in the manner in which they are attached. Then the next thing is the copies. This states the names and address of other persons to whom the letter is sent. And then the short form for this is CC, and it sometimes contains certain statements that are not in the original letter. All right, so, wow, that, that was quite long, actually. That's a lot of details to take in. I just thought it was just normal letter. Anyway, so, um, I know for, for certain that sometimes you see these particular phrases in documents, subject to contract and without prejudice. So when you see them in a the letter, what does it mean? Okay. So these are words that modify the legal consequence of the contract. I think that's a good way to summarize what they mean. So subject to contract without prejudice, when you see these two things in a letter, either of the two, they are called terms of negotiation or words of negotiation in a letter. And these statements are made under privilege and they are covered by Section 23 of the Act. They are used by parties when negotiating 
and such documents are generally not admissible in evidence. So we move to subject to contract. Subject to contract, when used, the parties are not bound by the terms of the negotiation until a formal contract is entered into and executed. Also, it is used the use of the term subject to contract will be of no effect when the parties have concluded negotiations as seen in the case of UBA and the Jumola and Sons. And then the effect is a matter of construction. Now, without prejudice, when you say without prejudice on a letter, it simply makes the document not admissible in evidence against the maker. And the exception is where the maker expressly waives his right. So if the maker says you can admit these statements, of course, to be admitted. Now, there's no, it's not, it doesn't have to be stated in a document as it can be inferred from the party's conduct. But of course, it's always better that you expressly state that this statement was made without prejudice, so it will be inadmissible in evidence. Okay, all right. So let's go on to talk about the other types of documents. Let's talk about minutes of a meeting. Okay, so the other types of documents, uh, we're moving to minutes of a meeting. Minutes of a meeting is a written summary of things discussed in the meeting. And I'm very sure a lot of us are familiar with this because even in our informal meetings, sometimes we need to take notes and take down notes on what was discussed in the meeting. Now, the tips for effective minutes writing is that you need to know the purpose of that meeting. Keep it concise because you can't write every single thing that was said in the meeting. Then get the right information and follow the right format. Then you keep a record, use simple language and proofread your work. And if you follow these tips, you are one step close to writing a perfect minute. So I'll be going into the guidelines of writing a minute. What and what should be in your minute? Number one, your heading. The proper heading that adequately captures the subject should be in the meeting. The types of meeting, the type of meeting that it is, is it the annual meeting, is it, is it a monthly meeting, should state it. The venue of the meeting should be there. The date of the meeting and time of the meeting. So all of these should be adequately stated. Now, the people in attendance, present, we have present, those are list of the members present. In attendance means list of persons who are not members that are present. A good example is if a company, for example, needs to hear the professional advice of the surveyor and invite him for the meeting, that professional surveyor is going to be there as someone to in attendance, someone in attendance and it won't be written as list of people present. Then apologies, these are people who took permission to be absent. And then absent is for the people that were absent without permission. Now we move on to the opening remarks or prayers. You know in Nigeria we take prayers seriously, so please put it there. Otherwise, um this is also known as um the commencement. So opening <laughs> remarks, opening prayer, please put it there. Then adoption of agenda should also be there. Adoption of minutes of the last meeting should also be in your minute of the present meeting. And then matters arising from the minute. So the issues discussed, reports, resolutions, whatever was discussed in that meeting, put it there. The next thing is issues discussed following the agenda. So these are discussions of the issues in the agenda, itemized issues discussed, and resolutions reached on each. So every issue on the agenda for that meeting, you itemize it, discuss it. If they discuss something about a matter that was in court, for example, what progress have they made on that matter, we write it, we put the case number and write the details of what the whatever report the person gave on that matter. You put it under the agenda. And then another 
any other business rather any other business this basically contains other general issues you can for example if somebody stands up to, to you know appreciate the management of the law firm or doing something you know you can just put that under any other business because it's not a major substance of the meeting was it was part of the business it was part of what was discussed in the meeting so you put that under any other business and then the, the next thing is conclusion and then we have adjournment and closing remark or prayer if any this is usually encompassed under conclusion and then signature name the signations of persons that made the minutes and this is usually the chairman and secretary of the meeting all right so now we know how to write the minutes of the meeting uh okay we'll move on to another form of document now which is the cv um can you expatiate on that okay i find this very interesting and i want you to take note that for the purpose of this particular um document called cv law school's position is law school's position and you need to pay attention to law school's position here now, a CV is a sort of portfolio that contains your educational and professional history or experience sent with an application for a job. It is a market document, so basically you take your professional experience, educational background and things like that. The resume provides a summary of your education, work history, credentials, and other accomplishments and skills. Typically, a resume is a one-page document and could sometimes be two and it's more concise and precise than a CV. Now, there are three major differences between a CV and a resume. The length, like I said, resume is usually one page or two page, and then it's more concise than a CV, so CV is usually longer. And then the, the purpose also and the layout are different, although they are used interchangeably, and CVs are usually mostly used for applying for contracts, advanced research, or processing teaching position while the resume is used for work search. Now, the guidelines for writing a CV or resume. Take note that this is for the purpose of you writing your bar exam. Number one, the personal data. You have name, place of birth, state of origin, local area, hometown, nationality, sex, gender, marital status, and then your contact address, home or permanent, and then the contact phone number, or email address. All of these should be under your personal details. So that's the first part of your CV. The second part is educational background. And this contains your schools or institutions you've attended. So you state the name of the school and then the period of time you attended it. Next one under it is the educational qualification obtained with classes and dates. So you state the certificate obtained, the classes obtained in each of them, and then the dates they were obtained. So, for example, in your university, you put it there, you put your class of grade, and then you put the date also you attended the university. Nigeria Law School, you put it there, you put your class of grade, you put the date there. Now, the next one is the academic achievement. So, if you won any awards in the course of your educational experts, it should be stated there. The next thing is your work experience. So we talked about personal details, education. The next thing is work experience. Work experience basically entails your previous and present work experiences and cognitive experience. So assignments carried out, you put it there, the summary of the job schedule, name and address of the employer, the job description, the period of employment with the employer, the reasons for leaving, all of this should be stated there. If the reason, reason for leaving, of course, if there is, if it's a past job, you should put it there. 
Now, the area of specialization, if any, do you have any area of specialization which you know that the applicant, if you as the applicant, if you have or is going to sort of be an added advantage for you, put it there. Now, after these three major parts, the next thing is any additional professional qualification, membership of professional bodies, for example, if you're a member of Chartered Institute of Arbitrators, put it there, and any other uh, professional body. Next thing is leadership positions held. Your hobbies, put your hobbies there. Well, it's not really necessary, but you might want to mention any that is relevant to the job that you're applying for. Generic examples are reading, going to the cinema, listening. But like I said, it's not really necessary. And then referees, you can put your referees there. People who can, who can basically speak for you, speak on behalf of you. And good referees are usually like your lecturers or your previous employers. Next thing is your signature and date. Please, for top of the back now, put signature and date there. The applicant should pick out only those that are applicable to him. For example, if previous work experience is not applicable to you, then you don't have to put it there. So the tips, I'll just give some general tips for writing a good CV. And I'll say, make sure you, you do not make grammatical errors in your CV. For example, don't make spelling errors. And then the layout, make it attractive. And also keep your CV neat. And make sure it's easy on the eye. You can adopt the style um, based on the structure I already explained. And a random tip I would personally give is never lie to CV. <laughs> uh, I'm proficient in Excel. <laughs> Until they tell you to come and work on something on Excel. Or PowerPoint. <laughs> Although these are basics people should know anyways, but you know how people lie all the time. Okay. All right, so let's move on to office memoranda. Okay, so office memoranda is a written communication between staff in a medium or law, or large law firm and other business organizations. It's basically a legal, legal document that should be written in a professional manner as it can be used as evidence reports. So you don't want to be too casual about it. And at the same time, it, it doesn't have to be so serious. But it, it needs to be professional because it can be tendered in court as evidence. Now, the guidelines for writing or drafting an office memorandum is number one, you put two. So two is basically the designation of the receiver or receivers. Then you put from and then you put the name of the designation of the writer. And then after that we have date. That's the date it was made, the subject matter on that subject, and then we have the body of the memo. Next thing is statement of the problem. The next one is discussion on why the problem exists. Then you suggest a cause of action. That you suggest a cause of action, and then you have your conclusion statement. Then signature or initial name and designation of the maker, and then you have the list of recipients of the memo. Now hints for drafting office memo: use conventional style and words like I, you, we, it makes it more personal. And then use active words and not passive words. Use, um, talk as if you're talking face to face, but at the same time, you need to be formal and professional. Use simple and clear language, know your audience, stay objective, keep to the important topics and avoid unnecessary adjectives. Then it should be short and straight to the point, avoid slangs, Keep paragraphs short and be accurate and honest. Um, okay, so now let's talk about legal opinion as we, you know, move closer to the end of our session. Okay, 
So, a legal opinion is very simple. It's basically it's a statement written by a court, judicial officer, or a legal expert as to the legality or illegality of an action, condition, or intent. And this is basically the structure or layout of the legal opinion. The subject matter, that's the question of opinion, is stated clearly. What exactly are you writing legal opinion on? You should state it. Then you state the facts in a manner as to bring out the materials for answering the question. And then analysis on which opinion depends. That's what, what, what is your opinion based on? So you set the laws and maybe case law, the, any authority upon which you are basing your opinion, basically. And you set out the conditions that should exist for answers to questions to be negative or positive. And then you state the actual stand of the client according to law. Then after that, you state your opinion properly. The opinion itself, that's the answer to the question. Try to answer with a monosyllabic yes or no, referring to paragraph numbers and facts sections justifying the opinion. And then you answer the, you answer the question, keep your answer short, as short as possible. And if the question is why, for example, if the question is a why, it's not, it's not saying, oh, is this thing this or that? It's not a yes or no question. Then you should, if it's why, then the opinion must explain with reference to facts and analysis. Then use disclaimer that the fact that the opinion, this is basically what this opinion is based on. And if this facts change, then the opinion might change. And then you state the law as the stand and the date. So the disclaimer will also say that, okay, my opinion was based on the law as a social, social date. For example, you might give me an opinion based on the karma 20, the old karma, whereas there's a new karma now. Now, that's, you also um, state your opinion based on the facts available to you. I've stated that already. And then you can use the documents also um, supplied to you. Now, the rules that you should observe when drafting a legal opinion is number one, aids to clearness and accuracy. Let it be clear, capitalize when necessary, and then use punctuation marks. For example, you see people write statements and then they will highlight a part and put highlight for emphasis, something like that. Also, you can use um, sen- a sentence structure, you know, ensure that you your sentences have a structure. Keep it short and simple and um, avoid verbosity or aka words like hearing, after, whereas, all those aka words as much as possible. Because sometimes you might be writing this legal opinion as a legal expert to a client who does no knowledge about this legal jargon. So as much as possible, you want to avoid things like that. Then, the methods for drafting the legal opinion. The method to be adopted in drafting legal opinion depends on who it is meant for. So a legal opinion can be drafted as a letter, and this is most appropriate where it is for a client. And it can also be drafted as a memorandum. Example, where the boss in, the op- in an office requires legal opinion. So it doesn't necessarily have to write it as a, a, a letter. Now, a good tip I'll give you here is for your, for purpose of bar final, you need to take note that, okay, if they ask you for, for you to draft a legal opinion, most likely the questions will direct you directly to where to go. Make sure you know for which purpose it is meant. So that you can know whether you're drafting it as a letter. If, of course, if it's for a client, it should be a letter. But if it's to your boss or if someone just directly told you to write it, then you most likely would have to draft it as a memorandum. And I'm just going to chip in some ethical issues that you should note at this point, which is number one, you do not insult people, whether it's a letter, your CV, whatever you're drafting, avoid insults and abuses, and do not backdate a document that 
drafted. It is just ethical. It's just, since we are talking about professional ethics, I just thought to insert that. Okay, all right. So I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. But before we go, um, Veronica, are there any other things we should note in regards to buy bar finals? Because you've mentioned some things, and there are some things I'm sure that they may be a reality. There may be difference in reality from bar finals. So is there anything we should know and we should take note of? Yes, of course, especially as regards CV. But what about the bar final? You should take note that in writing your CV, as mentioned before, because law school says you should write um, all those personal details, state of origin, all those things. Of course, please write your marital status. In fact, write everything law school as you should write in your bar final exam. But in reality, trust me, in real life, you don't want to be caught putting place of bed, local government, state of origin, marital status, or reasons for leaving your last job, or even your signature on your CV. Trust me, for necessary. Nobody cares. <laughs> in fact, most times the HR will probably even be upset that why would you even put all of these unnecessary details? And to make your CV unnecessarily long. But please, for people of bar final, like I said, kindly put it there. Okay. Alright. So, um so our audience, you can you know how to prepare yourself for bar finals. So there's a here's a little assignment for you. You can attempt to draft the minutes of a meeting or a webinar. Since that's all we are doing these days, I mean, a lot of people, there's always webinars here and there because of coronavirus and everything. So using the guidelines that Veronica has explained, try to draft the minutes of a meeting that you attend online and see how it goes and see how you are doing. Uh, Veronica, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great um, chatting with you and discussing this topic with you. It was a pleasure discussing the topic too. All right. So back to you, our audience. As always, fill our feedback forms where you see them online. Let us know the topics that you are struggling with and we would love to address those topics. Feel free to reach out to us through our social media platforms if you have questions and suggestions. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at DigilawNG. You can also follow us um, on um, the podcast by subscribing to our channels on Google and Apple Podcasts. And give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts. If you use Anchor to listen, you can click the favorite button so you get notified anytime we release a new episode. And if you prefer to ask your questions verbally, you can record a message on Anchor and send to us. And we appreciate your feedback as always. We hope you've had a wonderful time today. To meet again, I remain your host, Kelly Kemi Ubi. Stay fit and stay proper. And that's all for today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast, a Digilaw production. For more about Digilaw, you can check out our website at www.digilaw.com.ng. Follow us on social media. On LinkedIn, we are at DGL Africa. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at DigilawNG. The Fit and Proper Podcast was hosted by Kemi Ubi and Veronica Aino. The scriptwriter is Kemi Ubi. Production and editing is by Akin Ifani Agumbiade. And while the voiceover is by Fashoni Adebi. Until we meet again, stay fit and stay proper.